It's Academy Awards season, the time of year that we talk about the best performances of the year, which means we're talking about everything but that. I've got all of the details about the newest controversy right now. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, and today we are going to talk about something that is probably only controversial or even important to anyone that follows the entertainment industry, or really even the awards industry. But for those people like myself who do, this has been a really intriguing story as it's played out. If you've been watching the Oscar nominations and everything for the last couple weeks, you'll know that an actress named Andrea Riseborough was able to secure a long shot Best Actress nomination, a long shot of long shots. And since that announcement two weeks ago, there has been a firestorm of controversy over the nomination, how it was obtained, what it means about the Oscars, who wasn't nominated. There's so many different things to talk about. I've been collecting data and collecting my thoughts on everything and organizing it and decided to make a video. So today we're going to talk about the Andrea Riceboro nomination, how she got it, what people are saying she might have done or others might have done on behalf of her to get it, who wasn't nominated, what that says about the history of the Academy Awards, and what all of it means when we talk about movies and the Oscars in general. So in other words, Words, strap in. So let's start first of all with a very basic question and one that a lot of people were asking the morning that Oscar nominations were announced. Who is Andrea Riseborough? If you don't know her name, you've probably seen a movie that she's in, probably multiple movies, because she is what you might call a, a working actor or an actor's actor. She's a talented pro with vast experience and respect inside the industry, but maybe not a lot of awareness amongst the average moviegoer and definitely not what you would call a household name. She's usually in a lot of smaller films, independent films, and she's often singled out for her performances in those films. And in recent years, she's been getting bigger parts and even lead parts in a lot of really well-respected movies. Just in the last few years, she was in Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals, Armando Iannucci's The Death of Stalin. She had the lead role in Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. She starred as the character Mandy alongside Nicolas Cage in the movie Mandy. And last year alone, she appeared in five films, Amanda Kramer's Please Baby Please, David O'Reilly. Russell's Amsterdam, the finished drama What Remains, Netflix's Matilda the Musical. This guy just is it. Well, I have a whole house to run. Dinners don't microwave themselves, you know. And of course, to Leslie, a small budget indie that was relatively unknown before the later stage of this Oscar season. Who are you calling? Are you calling Grandma? You do not call my mother. She is my mother. You do not call my mother. The movie to Leslie had a budget of less than a million dollars, and in it, Riseboro stars as an alcoholic who wins the lottery, blows it all on parties and booze, and then has to deal with the fallout after the money runs out. It is a harrowing portrait of addiction and just how quickly good luck can become bad fortune. I didn't mean to spend it all. I lost everything. I had to file for bankruptcy. Okay. I lost right. my place. Okay. And so, yeah, I left them. Okay. I left them. Okay. Let me just say bye, and I'll, and I'll drive you. Mm -mm. The movie was acquired last March after it debuted at the South by Southwest Film Festival by a distributor called Momentum Pictures, which is a subsidiary of a subsidiary of Hasbro, the toy company. Momentum Pictures as an entity has been around for a while, but its current iteration was relaunched back in 2015. And prior to To Leslie, its most high-profile film was probably a 2020 movie called Black Bear. And no surprise, Black Bear featured a performance from Aubrey Plaza that many believed should be an awards contention, but was not able to have the kind of Oscar campaign that would garner that attention. Does that sound familiar? 
So Leslie was released to theaters, apparently, according to the distributor, on October 7th, 2022. And the reason I say apparently is that if you watch this channel, you know that I do a lot of box office numbers and stuff. The numbers weren't even reported. I can't find it listed on any of the major databases. The worldwide gross for Telesley is reported at around $27,000. And I've seen people take that number and use it basically as a weapon against the film to say, see, this movie that made nothing is nominated for an Academy Award. How did he get that nomination? it doesn't even deserve it. And I could see how you could look at that number and maybe jump to that conclusion, but that's never really been the case with To Leslie because even though very few people saw it when it came out, it was immediately a critical hit. Prior to award season, the reviews of To Leslie were overwhelmingly positive from critics that saw it either at South by Southwest or when it was released last October. Andrea Riseborough and her performance are singled out in nearly every single review as the best part of the movie, bar none. Award season is a thing unto itself, and I've only been an active participant in it for a few years as I've been able to kind of grow my own reputation as a critic. There are an overwhelming amount of movies that are sent to critics and Academy members and everybody else who votes for every kind of awards for your consideration, or FYC. They call it FYC season. And usually that entails, at a minimum, sending different critics groups and the Academy, etc., either a physical copy of a movie for your review or a screening link to watch the movie online. There were no physical screeners sent out for to Leslie, at least not to critics that I'm aware of during the entire For Your Consideration season. The only correspondence I found related to To Leslie when it comes to awards was an email from November, which was sent out the day after the Independent Spirit Award nominations were announced with a link to the trailer for To Leslie and an offer to send a screener link if you email back and ask for one. The fact that this email was sent the day after the Independent Spirit Awards were announced also says to me that there was never really an intention to push to Leslie out for awards consideration, but after it picked up an award for best lead performance at the Spirit Awards, there was probably a decision somewhere along the line to at least offer critics a chance to watch the link if they wanted to. It was a far less aggressive campaign than any other major contender for any other award. Most for your consideration campaigns are backed by studios or talent agencies, the ones that represent the stars or both, but there never really seems to be an official for your consideration campaign for To Leslie outside of these couple of straight emails. And as other actresses began garnering awards buzz and nominations for their lead roles in other films for critics groups and other guilds, etc., it seemed like Andrea Riceborough would have to be content with the respect inside the industry that she'd always had and the Independent Spirit Award nomination, which is, of course, a very prestigious thing. But even though To Leslie wasn't officially on the awards season radar until early 2023, that's at least not when her name began circulating around circles for the Oscar nomination, the campaign for Andrea Riseborough actually started months before. To understand this, you have to understand the people behind the film, and particularly the director, whose name is Michael Morris. Even though this is his first film, Michael Morris is a prolific TV director. He recently helmed multiple episodes of Halt and Catch Fire, Preacher, 13 Reasons Why, Better Call Saul, including the season and mid-season premieres of this final season. 
In addition, Morris is married to actress Mary McCormick, who's been a working actor for decades and whose personal connections in Hollywood line up a lot with the people who would go on to advocate for the film and Riseboro's performance on social media. It was obvious even before awards season that McCormick was pushing the movie hard with people that were inside of her social circle, starting with Howard Stern, the radio show host. He's been on satellite radio for many, many years now. He was also McCormick's co-star in Private Parts. Way back in the 1990s, they've been friends for decades and Howard Stern began talking about to Leslie on his radio show talking about how great the movie was how great Andrea Riseborough's performance was largely because he had seen the movie thanks to Mary McCormick and wanted to share how much he liked it Charlize Theron is also a very key figure in the early campaign for to Leslie she is close friends with Mary McCormick if you go online you can see that they traveled to Africa together McCormick was there to support Charlize Theron's charity and they've often been seen together in public Charlize Theron helped raise the profile of To Leslie back in the fall when she hosted a screening at CAA of the film to promote Andrea Riseborough's performance. And she said, quote, this is an endangered species kind of movie and I want to be mindful of that work and protect it. It's so rare. There's a narrative out there that nobody was talking about this movie or pushing it until early January, when that's simply not true. It's just that McCormick's close friends in particular were the ones that were really preaching the gospel of To Leslie. It seemed like there was, however, a more coordinated strategy, and it was different from what you see with most films. Most movies during award season are going after every guild and every critics group, and they sort of blanket everybody with screeners and screener links and screenings, etc., trying to get everyone to see their movie. It seems, however, that there was a coordinated campaign, largely on the part of Mary McCormick, possibly on the part of Andrea Riseborough's managers and some PR firms, to push her for the Oscar nomination specifically and to target only the members of the Academy who would be responsible for nominating her, i.e. the members of the acting branch. The way that Oscar nominations work is that for all categories except for Best Picture, the nominations are determined by the different branches of the Academy. So for example, there's a branch of the Academy for cinematographers. They decide who the cinematography nominees are going to be, the same for sound designers, etc., and of course the same for actors. So the acting branch, which is reportedly the largest branch of the Academy, decides who the Academy Award nominees for the different acting categories are going to be. And they also use a ranked choice voting system, similar to how the entire Academy votes for Best Picture, which means that you don't just pick five different options for Best Actress, you rank them in order of preference. It's a complicated system, but the reason that I'm bringing it up is that the ranked choice method and where different Academy Award voters ranked Andrea Riseborough specifically is a key part of why this nomination has faced so much controversy and We'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. Even though award season lasts a few months, the window for voting for Academy Award nominations was actually pretty small. It was open from January 12th to January 17th of this year. And as the January 12th date approached, the day that the actors could first start submitting their choices for the different acting categories, a campaign to push Riseboro's performance began ramping up on social media particularly. On the 8th and 9th of January, there was a lot of social media buzz that seemed to pop up overnight with what some people might call copy pasta. Basically, a bunch of tweets that all identically called to Leslie, quote, a small film with a big heart. 
Now this became an instant meme, and a lot of people also have flagged this as perhaps suspicious activity, but when you go back and look at some of the people who put that small film with a big heart quote on social media, you can see that a lot of them have direct ties to Mary McCormick. For example, the actor Joe Montaigne hosted a Memorial Day special together with Mary McCormick just a few years ago. Meredith Vieira is somebody whose game show McCormick appeared on recently, and Dulé Hill was McCormick's co-star on The West Wing, as was Allison Janney who also appears into Leslie. In that context, it really does seem like Mary McCormick likely emailed a lot of her friends and said, hey, there's this movie to Leslie. My husband made it. I really think that Andrea Riceboro's performance is great in it. If you've seen it, would you mind spreading awareness on social media? And probably included an example of a message of how she would like to get the word out. And her celebrity friends just didn't bother to change the example message that was sent. Is it a little sloppy? Yes. But is it illegal? Should somebody's nomination be rescinded because of it? I don't really think so. On January 10th, actor Edward Norton posted about the movie on Twitter with a lengthy personal endorsement of Riseboro's performance, none of that small movie with a big heart stuff, saying that he happened to catch the film. Who knows, maybe that initial campaign worked, or maybe the word of mouth was spreading, or maybe somebody's agent or manager reached out. Regardless, it does seem like Edward Norton actually watched the film and was heartily endorsing Riseboro's performance. That night of January 10th, Gwyneth Paltrow watched the movie and the next day posted about it on Instagram, along with a picture of herself, Michael Morris, Riseborough, and Demi Moore. Paltrow was a close friend of Chelsea Handler, who's also a close friend of Mary McCormick, so again, not too hard to figure out what the social connection is there. From there, more and more celebrities began singling out to Leslie, singling out Andrea Riseborough, and asking other celebrities to spread the word about the performance. Oscar winner Kate Winslet hosted a Q&A for To Leslie on January 14th, three days before the nominating window closed. You should be up for everything. You should be winning everything. Andrea Riseborough, this is, the I think, the greatest female performance on screen I have ever seen in my life. And on January 17th, Amy Adams, Riseborough's co-star in Nocturnal Animals, hosted another virtual Q&A just hours before the nominating window shut for good. Also adding to the last-minute push was Kate Blanchett. On January 16th, the day before nominations closed, Blanchett singled out Riseborough specifically when accepting her Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress. Best Actress, I mean, it is extremely arbitrary considering how many extraordinary performances there have been by women, not only in this room, but, you know, um, Andrea Riseborough and Tang Wei. You know, Penelope Cruz, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is particularly ironic because there are a lot of people saying that Riseboro and the people who campaigned on her behalf did something wrong and gave her some sort of an unfair competitive boost. And yet one of her most high profile supporters was also the person who probably had the most to lose by boosting Riseboro's profile, which is Kate Blanchett, who is probably, along with Michelle Yeoh, the front runner in the Best Actress race. So on its surface, this case seems fairly clear. Director Michael Morris made a film, a very low-budget indie, that was picked up by a distributor who didn't have the desire or the funds to mount an awards season campaign. Mary McCormick, who was very proud of her husband's film and Andrea Riseborough's performance in it, contacted a lot of celebrity friends and asked them to promote the film, probably pulled some favors to get it seen by other folks, perhaps with PR people, perhaps with managers. But this was a word-of-mouth campaign in many respects, certainly more so 
than the targeted and months-long campaigns that other studio films get during awards season. The campaign snowballed. It got noticed by not only people inside the actors branch, but the general public, the awards pundits. It became a meme. It already became a lightning rod for controversy, but it was just a curiosity, really, until Riseborough actually was able to pull off getting an Academy Award nomination. Andrea Riseborough into Leslie. This went from being an interesting story to a lightning rod for controversy because everything that had happened before the nominations was all of a sudden now under a microscope. Since the 1990s, when a certain executive changed the way that Oscar campaigns ran, the Academy has passed a lot of different rules that govern what you can and can't do during campaign season. In the wake of Ridesboro's nomination, there were some questions that were raised, including reportedly inside the Academy, as to whether the tactics to get her that nomination broke existing Academy rules. So let's take a look at those rules and see what the case is for and against the breaking of them and why some people even floated the possibility that Riseboro's nomination was going to be rescinded, which it was not after the Academy's Board of Governors met last week. First, let's look at what kind of contact is allowable by Academy members and to Academy members during Oscar campaigning season. According to the Academy's official rules, quote, film companies may not send a member more than one email and one hard copy mailing per Monday through Sunday, seven day period for each film the company represents. All sanctioned items for eligible films must be sent using an Academy approved mailing house. Each approved mailing house will be given an official list of Academy members who have opted in along with their contact information to facilitate each mailing. So it should be noted that this rule specifically says that it applies to film companies and this really only covers what you can actually send to different Academy members, basically to their home. I think it's very interesting, and we'll talk about how I think that a lot of this is fixed towards bigger companies, and specifically studios who have a lot of resources, that the only mailers you can send have to be through approved Academy mail houses, which I'm sure price at very competitive rates. Also, the emails that they talk about, you can send an email through the Academy. Basically, the Academy will send an email on your behalf to their mailing list for $2,000 per email, which means that if you are running a coordinated Oscar campaign and you want to get the word out about your movie weekly, you are probably spending $12,000 to $14,000 just to pay the Academy to email on your behalf once a week. It should also be noted that the Academy has an online screening room to which all Academy members have access, and you can have your movie uploaded to that screening room so it's available to Academy voters for a fee of $20 thousand dollars that's right if you want to be in the academy screening room you got to pay 20k now to leslie was available reportedly on that academy screening room at some point but it's unclear who paid that twenty thousand dollar fee was it her agents was it her managers was it momentum pictures is that where they chose to perhaps invest some money was it riseboro herself was it mary mccormick nobody really knows but again this is sort of a pay-to-play type deal you don't have to pay all this money to campaign for an oscar you just have to know that everybody else pretty much is the Academy rules go on to say, quote, the Academy requires that voting members of the Academy make their choices based solely on the artistic and technical merits of the eligible films and achievement, to which I say, since when? Yeah, in your dreams. 
quote, if any campaign activity is determined by the Board of Governors to work in opposition of that goal, whether or not anticipated by these regulations, the Board of Governors may take any corrective actions or assess any penalties, including disqualification, that in its discretion it deems necessary to protect the reputation and integrity of the awards process. Furthermore, any Academy member who has authorized, executed, or otherwise enabled a campaign activity that is determined by the Board of Governors to have undermined the letter or spirit of these regulations may be subject to suspension of membership or expulsion from the Academy. So there is a mechanism, yes, in the Academy rules that would have allowed them to revoke Andrea Riseborough's nomination if they wanted to, if they found that it was in some way in violation of the rules. And I love how open-ended that is. Basically, if you break the rules, whether or not it's listed here, the spirit of the letter of the law, at our discretion, we can do this. It's so non-committal, and it basically allows the Board of Governors to do kind of whatever they want. There have been some cases where Academy Award nominations have been rescinded in the past, a couple of times where a film is found to be retroactively ineligible, and a couple of other times where nominees have had their Oscar nominations taken away. But those have been in cases where those nominees were found to have specifically themselves contacted Academy members to lobby for their movies or against other movies. And it's very important to note that none of that has been alleged or proven in the to Leslie affair. Now, one rule that many people feel the Telezi campaign did break is Rule 10, which covers lobbying. And that rule states, quote, contacting Academy members directly and in a manner outside of the scope of these rules to promote a film or achievement for Academy Award consideration is expressly forbidden. Now, there is a lot of gray area here, particularly around social media. What constitutes direct contact to an Academy member? If somebody makes a social media post and tags an Academy member saying, I just saw to Leslie and I think you should see it, does that constitute direct contact? And who exactly do these rules apply to? Do they apply to non-Academy members? Does Mary McCormick's email to people in the Academy saying, I hope that you see my husband's film, constitute lobbying an Academy member? These rules were established mainly to police the behavior of film companies, and they were written at a time when nobody really thought that a social media campaign could happen or, quite frankly, could ever even really work. The Academy said that they're going to revisit these rules and regulations, and my guess is that Rule 10 is pretty high on their list because it has now been shown that a targeted and directed social media campaign can have an effect on the Academy Awards race. Still, Revisiting the idea of whether or not this would be enough to rescind the nomination, again, I don't think that it is, at least not to the point that you're going to punish Andrea Riseborough for the activities of others. We will continue our breakdown in just a moment, but before we move on, I wanna thank one of the sponsors for today's video, Mint Mobile. One frustration that nearly every mobile customer shares is having to deal with the big wireless companies, but the answer to these problems is here and it's called Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month with no binding contracts or ridiculous promotions, no hidden charges that you won't find out about until you get your bill. I tried for months to get my last contract with a big wireless provider sorted out, and even they couldn't keep it straight. But Mint Mobile is so simple, there's no need to try cracking an impossible code just to get what you paid for. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family, and at Mint Mobile, families start at two lines. 
All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same number along with your existing contacts. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected surprises at mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mintmobile.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L. You'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash Merle. This next rule is one that many people say one Academy member in particular broke, and I have to say that I agree, and I think it's a pretty clear case. It's Rule 11. Rule 11 covers references to other nominees, and it states, A, ads, mailings, websites, social media, or any other forms of public communication by anyone directly associated with an eligible film attempting to cast a negative or derogatory light on a competing film or achievement will not be tolerated. B, in particular, any tactic that singles out the competition by name or title is expressly forbidden. And C, in addition to reserving all available remedies, Academy members who are found to have violated this regulation will be subject to a one-year suspension of membership for first-time violations and expulsion for any subsequent violations. This is where actress Frances Fisher has found herself in some hot water because she put out an Instagram post in support of to Leslie saying, quote, Andrea Riseborough can secure an Oscar nomination if 218 out of 1,302 actors in the actors branch nominate her in first position. Seems to be that Viola, meaning Viola Davis, Michelle, meaning Michelle Yeoh, Danielle, meaning Danielle Deadweiler, and Kate, meaning Kate Blanchett, are a lock for their outstanding work. To paraphrase Hagrid from the Harry Potter series, Frances Fisher should not have said that because this has opened up the To Leslie campaign to allegations that her actions specifically cost both Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis an Oscar nomination because she encouraged other members to rank Andrea Riseborough higher in order to boost her chances for a Best Actress nod. Now, Frances Fisher wasn't trying to discredit either Deadweiler or Davis. She was basically saying they're a lock for their work, but I think that you can say that that is, in its own way, a derogatory statement. And you do have to do a little bit of parsing here. Does Fisher count as someone directly associated with To Leslie as the rule states? Is she casting the competition in a negative or derogatory light? Well, there's no proof that she was ever paid to promote the film, and she's not officially tied to it as a producer or anything else. So in that way, you can't say that she is directly associated with it. And it does doesn't appear unless some other information comes out that she was paid to post that by anyone involved with to Leslie or that anyone involved with to Leslie asked her to post that on Instagram. It really seems to me from the outside with the information that I have, which is her Instagram post, to be a case where Frances Fisher was advocating for Andrea Riseborough and drastically overstepped her boundaries. It was an incredibly poor choice. And if I were Frances Fisher, I would voluntarily take right now that one-year suspension from the Academy. I would not wait for the Academy to hand that punishment down. I would say, you know what? I was out of line. I don't want this to reflect poorly on to Leslie or Andrea Riseborough. I will take that punishment. You, you don't have to do a hearing or anything. Just levy it on me. Or if I were the Academy, I would levy that one-year suspension because it's not just naming the other nominees. It's putting the idea out there that they are a lock for that nomination and that someone should instead vote for Andrea Riceborough or rank her higher, I think that that's something that you just can't do. And this is really the only thing for me with the whole to Leslie affair that is a cut and dry bad decision and a clear violation of both the spirit and perhaps the letter of the law. And while Fisher's post did cross a line, in my opinion, I think it's also interesting that at least in these rules and regulations, the Academy doesn't have any rules governing their own 
Board of Governors and their interaction with different Oscar nominees or potential Oscar nominees. For example, Janet Yang, the president of the Academy, has had a long and public close friendship with Best Actress nominee Michelle Yeoh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Yang also reportedly advocated for her in that category after nominations were announced, which if you are the president of the Academy, is probably a big no-no and why those tweets were deleted. I could not find verification of what the exact content of those tweets were, but I do find it interesting that this seems to be a controversy that should have or could have been almost as big as the Telesley campaign, the president of the Academy seeming to endorse one specific contender for Best Actress, and yet it got very little traction. I also think it's odd that the Academy allows its Academy Museum to be used as a venue for films that may go on to be Oscar contenders. For example, back in December, the Academy Museum was the host for the premiere of Damien Chazelle's Babylon, which before anybody saw it, was a lead contender for Academy Award nominations. In addition to the, I'm sure, large amount of money that the Academy received for hosting the event at the Academy Museum, it also kind of seems like at least a tacit acknowledgement or legitimization of Babylon to host it at the museum. Shouldn't they kind of recuse themselves from movies that at least they think might be awards contenders as Babylon most certainly was? My point with all this isn't to say that everything in the Academy is corrupt. My point here is to say that the idea that Andrea Riseborough and to Leslie somehow politicized a neutral process is completely out of bounds. Academy members have been quoted since this happened as saying that nobody really knows where the rules stop and where the rules start and people skirt these rules rules all the time. Nobody really knows where the line is and enforcement from the Academy hasn't really existed except for in the most egregious cases. To Leslie went about Oscar campaigning in a way that nobody really ever has before, or at least not in a way that worked, and it really seems to have caught everybody flat-footed, and nobody really seems to know what to do, and so the default seems to be saying, well, something must have gone wrong. Somewhere a rule must have been broken. So far, except for Frances Fisher's post, which, again, absent other evidence, was an individual decision and a mistake on her part, there really hasn't been a whole lot of wrongdoing that's been proved. The closest as far as to Leslie's campaign directly, may be something that was instituted just a few years ago. It's an Academy rule called Rule 7. Rule 7 for the campaign season is a more obscure rule, but one where some questionable activity definitely occurred. It was established in 2016 after film companies and other organizations began throwing fancy dinners and parties in support of specific potential nominees without screening the film or sometimes in addition to screening the film. Rule 7 states, quote, prior to nominations, members may not be invited to and members may not attend any dinners, lunches, or other such events that are intended to promote an eligible film for awards consideration. However, this does not prohibit, one, providing non-excessive food and beverage at the time and place of a screening, or two, inviting members to an event that is unrelated to promoting an eligible film for awards consideration, e.g. a company party or DVD release event. Basically, you can invite Academy members to a screening of your movie as long as you don't provide more than, let's say, water and popcorn. Or if you're a film company, you can invite Academy members to an event as long as A24 doesn't throw the vote for everything everywhere all at once event. They instead throw the A24 company holiday mixer event. 
This is where Mary McCormick's advocacy for to Leslie may have crossed the line because in an email that was obtained by Vanity Fair to a select number of friends, some of whom were Academy members, McCormick invited them to a small party at her home. The email read in part, quote, other than how proud I am of my husband, Michael, we feel so strongly about beautiful films being seen, whether or not they have millions and millions to spend on publicity. Films like to Leslie are important for the future of filmmaking, so we want to support it and get the word out, especially because we know that it doesn't have the financial means for marketing. In a sea of multi-multi-million dollar award campaigns, it is almost impossible for a small independent film like to Leslie to break through. Please watch it, and if you respond to it, then join us at a very intimate reception on January 11th at our home. Come have a drink and chat with director Michael Morris, lead actress Andrea Riseborough, and Allison, who would be Allison Janney, and me, Mary McCormick, and fellow actors. We can have only about 25 to 30 people, so it will be small. We obviously love this film, and we think that it is worthy of many nominations, but certainly Andrea's performance is worthy of a Best Actress nomination. The movie cannot afford any FYC ads, so this letter and invitation will Will have to do instead. This does appear to be a pretty clear violation of Rule 7, or at least a very, very borderline case. Allison Janney being involved as an Academy member also makes it even more borderline than that. Is it possible that they broke this rule? I think it's probably likely. Again, it's unclear about whether this rule applies to individuals or to film companies or to people that don't belong to the Academy. But if you're going by the Academy standard of breaking the spirit of the law, then I guess it does, yes, break the spirit of the law. Rule seven for me in particular needs some clarification and revision because it doesn't specify who this rule specifically applies to. Can individuals do it if it's below a certain number of attendees? Does it really make sense that the rules governing a 500-person screening and a 25-person cocktail party held in the home of a non-Academy member fall under the same rules? I don't know if the Academy is going to revise this rule, but they definitely should because different movies have different size campaigns. And if you basically only allow Academy members to attend events that all Academy members are invited to, that definitely means that smaller films like To Leslie that can't rent out a huge screening room are not gonna be able to throw these events. The only loophole in any of these rules seems to have been social media, which is how to Leslie and Andrea Riseborough got the word out about the movie and got this ball rolling really in the first place. But of course, those rules are now under review as the Academy determines, quote, whether changes to the guidelines may be needed in a new era of social media and digital communications. One thing here seems abundantly clear to me which is that campaigns specifically for the Academy Awards are intended to be done only at scale. And those campaigns are very, very expensive to mount. And if you try to subvert that system in any way, then you are subject to allegations of cheating. If Mary McCormick had sent a $2,000 email to everybody in the Academy saying that to Leslie was now available in the Academy screening room, she would have been fine. But because she sent a private email to a few dozen friends in an attempt to raise the profile of her husband's small independent film that had no awards budget, she and the campaign are now under investigation and may cause rule changes in the Academy. Yes, by the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, that may be true, but is that how the rules should work? I'm not talking about going back to the days where every studio could bombard Academy members with gift baskets and million dollar parties for every movie that was nominated for an Oscar, but I am saying maybe 
just maybe you can look at the rule book and say, perhaps we should write some rules for smaller films that don't have the money to mount a campaign. Perhaps we should carve them out a little space to give them a shot at a place at the table. Maybe this shouldn't just be the province of studios and agencies that are big enough to mount these multi-million dollar campaigns. Is this gonna happen? I can almost guarantee you that it ain't. The narrative around Riceboro's nomination from many of her detractors has been that the social media campaign and the network of people that Mary McCormick used constituted an unfair advantage in the race that her competitors didn't have. But explain to me how a small, no-budget movie that almost nobody has seen that got exposure, yes, because of the contacts that the director's wife had, that she worked to activate, that they then, after seeing the film, were moved to share to other people. How were they putting at a disadvantage the other films in the competition that had multi-million dollar campaigns, hosted multiple screenings around Los Angeles, mailed out physical copies, mailed out screener links, already had nominations for critics awards and different guild awards to raise that profile. You're telling me that they were at a disadvantage to the no budget Oscar campaign that was basically being done over Instagram and Twitter? Now there's one aspect of this that I haven't touched on. And it is the historical trend in the Academy and specifically in the best actress race of not recognizing the work of actors of color and specifically of black actresses. There has only been one black actress in the history of the best actress race that has ever won the Academy Award, which is Halle Berry for Monsters Ball. And that happened over 20 years ago. And the track record there is absolutely crystal clear. You can't really argue with it. Two nominees didn't make the cut in this year's Best Actress race that were considered, as Francis Fisher unwisely said, locks to be amongst the contenders. One of them was Danielle Deadweiler for Tell. The other one is Viola Davis for The Woman King, both highly respected black actresses, both of whom, yes, were not included in the five nominees for Best Actress this year. And the prevailing sentiment among many is that Andrea Riceborough, through her social media campaign, took one of their slots that basically one of them would have been nominated for best actress. There was this last minute campaign for to Leslie and Andrea Riceborough came in and stole for lack of a better word again, one of their spots in the best actress race. And there is a lot to unpack with that. Many have said that the unfair advantage came because of the network that activated for to Leslie and spoke out in support of Andrea Riceborough and that black actresses historically don't have those kinds of networks or that when those networks speak out that they're not taken as seriously as the network that spoke out in favor of Riceborough. And listen, that is a complicated indictment of the social structure of Hollywood, of race in this country, of race in the entertainment industry. It is far more than can be solved by this year's best actress race. But my question here is, is it fair to Andrea Riseborough to put all of that history and the legacy of the Academy Awards and the renewed conversations that we've been having in this country in the last few years, is it fair to Andrea Riseborough to put all of that on her nomination for Best Actress? Had Davis and Deadweiler been nominated, or I think even if one of them had been nominated, then I think that the discussion being had around Riceboro's nomination would be very different. I think there would be a lot more focus on the underdog aspect of it and a lot less focus on the how did she get that nomination. And I think it's because there was so much excitement over the fact that both Davis and Deadweiler were going to get nominated or worst case scenario, one of them was going to be. And then when neither of them were nominated, in conjunction with Riceboro coming out of nowhere, 
to get the nomination, I think the conversation around the two topics has been inextricably linked. The surprise nomination of Andrea Riseborough and a continued legacy on behalf of the Academy of overlooking black actresses, especially in the best actress race. In fairness to Andrea Riseborough here though, first of all, we don't know how the vote shook out. We don't know who was in sixth place. If Andrea Riceboro had fallen short of a Best Actress nomination, there's no guarantee that Viola Davis or Daniel Deadweiler would have been that fifth actress. It could have been Olivia Colman for Empire of Light. It could have been Margot Robbie for Babylon. We could still be having the same discussion about the overlooking of black talent in the Best Actress race had Andrea Riceboro never been nominated for this award. I think it's also interesting that Riceboro is the only nominee whose nomination has really been questioned because when you look at this category, Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh are really the only two solid front runners that made it. Riceboro, of course, was a long shot nominee. Ana de Armas for Blonde was one that was surprising to many people. And then Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. That's a performance that many people had assumed would be pushed in the Best Supporting Actress race. And many people assumed that Michelle Williams might get nominated in that supporting race. But I have not seen any discussion about Williams' presence in the lead category, whether that should have been in the supporting category, and whether that took a slot from either Daniel Deadweiler or Viola Davis. And then with Ana de Armas for Blonde. Blonde was an extremely divisive movie and was also criticized by many, including myself, for being a deeply misogynistic portrait of Marilyn Monroe. And yet we've seen little to no discussion of the Academy's decision to nominate Ana de Armas in the Best Actress race. If you want to criticize the Academy for its legacy of snubbing black actresses in this race, then I'm right in line with you as somebody who was completely mystified as to why Lupita Nyong'o was never apparently considered even for the Oscar nomination for us just a few years ago. I understand. I'm not defending the system here. I'm merely asking why the legacy of that system is being laid at the feet of Andrea Riceboro when there is no evidence or proof that she took anybody's spot or is responsible for the snub in any way. In preparation for this video, I actually did a pretty radical thing, especially when it comes to talking about uh, this whole situation. Uh, I sat down and watched To Leslie in its entirety. And I have to say that in my personal opinion, Andrea Riceboro is pretty freaking great in this movie. Riceboro is so good at establishing who her character is into Leslie that by the end of the movie, I could tell what she was doing and thinking in a shot where her back was to the camera. Was she better than any of the other nominees? That's a matter of subjective taste, but I will say that she absolutely deserves to be considered equally with the other great performances of last year. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I ain't a piece of shit. And isn't this what this Oscar season and this campaigning all supposed to be about? Isn't the politicking and the receptions and the screenings and the links and the mailings and the emails and everything, isn't it really supposed to be about the privilege of being considered along with everything else that came out last year? That's all that to Leslie was really fighting for from the very beginning, to be considered alongside these other movies that had a vastly larger amount of resources when it came to the Academy Awards.
Why should the privilege of being considered only be given to people that can afford to cut through all of this noise? Because let me tell you, if my partner, if Mara had made to Leslie, you can bet your ass I would have pulled out every favor in the book to get that movie in front of as many people as possible because the work on display there is fantastic. And for it to slip through award season completely unnoticed, I'm not saying I want you to give her the Oscar. I'm saying I want you to consider her with everyone else you bet that I'd throw a party. You bet that I'd email my friends. You bet that I would ask somebody to share the movie on Twitter. Or if I have a friend who's an actor who has a great social media following that I'd say, hey, can you watch this movie and say something nice because we're really trying to get it up off the ground? Of course I would do that. The critics of this nomination are right in that the rules need to be changed, but not the way that a lot of people think they should be. Because the rules that are currently in place and that I'm sure are going to be revised shortly are going to make it increasingly difficult for smaller movies like To Leslie and performances like Andrea Riseborough's to break through to the wider members of the Academy. Let's not revise the rules to make the inequity among smaller films and bigger films even worse. Let's revise the rules to even the playing field. I'm going to do a video later on about if I ran the Oscars and I'll propose specific changes, but generally it would be to have specific rules that govern specific movies based on how much they spend on for your consideration campaigning. And yes, it would be a little bit more work on everybody's part, but don't you want to make sure that the nominations for each year's performances reflect the best work that's actually done, whether it was in a $70 million movie or a $7 million indie? This has been a very long video, a very long explanation, a very long screed on my part, if you will, but it's something I feel very passionate about because I do think that the one thing that's not being talked about here is Andrea Riseborough's work, which I think is absolutely awards worthy. And I will end with this, which is to say that if you haven't seen to Leslie as a non-academy member, speaking to other non-academy members, if you're an academy member, turn this off. It doesn't apply to you. I don't want to break any rules here. Just between us, non-academy folk, if you've dismissed Andrea Riceboro's work, if you say that she's not worthy of a nomination or that she's not deserving of being recognized for her performance, I would ask you to do what I think the intent of the campaign always was, which is to please consider watching her work before you pass your final judgment. So those are my very long thoughts on this Andrea Riseborough situation. What do you think about all this? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching the channel. I'll be back very soon with more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. And of course, more award stuff as we approach the Oscars themselves. Thank you so much for watching this very long video. Stay safe until next time, and I'll see you then. Bye.